0: So scripture calls us into community. Um, It's necessary for our spiritual health, obviously. In this Friendsgiving series, Pastor Jeremy started talking last week about this importance of spiritual community as we center around Jesus, right? How good was that last week? So we're supposed to be a devoted community of common values. And tonight we're going to talk about a community of unity. My brother is five years older than I am. His name is Jared. He will never listen to this, so I'm safe. Um, And as most siblings do, we kind of bicker and fight pretty often, or we used to, I guess. Um, And for most of my life, I know it's hard to believe, but he was a lot bigger than I was. Yeah, I wasn't this size in elementary school. He was a large and is a large human being as far as the averages go. He's about 6'2". Probably encroaching on 270 nowadays, but again, he'll never hear this, so that's fine. Um, but we were, we were at home, and one particular day, I had had enough. I was just done with this guy. Everybody, who's the youngest in the house tonight? Youngest sibling. Okay, I've got, I've got four people on my side. Perfect. Uh, I had had enough. I was up to here with this guy. And, again, he was 16 at the time, so that makes me 11, for those of you that are terrible at math. Um, and, and I just had it up to here. And I pulled a chalkboard, yes, a chalkboard, not a dry erase board, but a chalkboard, a three-by-five chalkboard, off my bedroom wall, and I smacked him with it as hard as I could. I wasn't even sorry. I was like, ugh. And he looks down, looks up no expression on his face I was terrified (laughs) he goes like this you made me bleed and then I was even more terrified those four words struck more fear into me than I felt to this day and on instinct I ran to the only door in the house that locks the bathroom (laughs) slam it shut got it behind me And he's banging on the door. Some inaudible nonsense coming out of his mouth. Rage-filled, let me tell you. And I'm thinking, he's punched through this door before. I don't want to be face-to-face with him. And then the door starts to jiggle. And I thought, "He's, he's picked that lock before, too. This is probably not a good plan. So I... I use my brain. My 11-year-old brain says, jump out the window. So I open the window, and I shimmy on out, and I just start running. Straight line. No fences, no Rottweilers, no yards getting in my way. Just beeline. The the only thing I'm focused on is getting as much distance between my brother and me as possible. There's no way he's going to chase me down. He's too fat. Now, I did the research for this story. That run was three-quarters of a mile. It seemed a lot longer than I will tell you, when I looked at it, I was like, really? Only three-quarters of a mile? That's crazy. But I guarantee you that is the fastest I have ever or will ever run three-quarters of a mile. Hurdles, no hurdles. Rottweilers, no Rottweilers. That was quick. I'm talking like like three-minute pace for those of you that do any kind of track. Three-minute pace on three-quarter miles, that's four-minute mile, for those of you, again, that are terrible at math. And then I get get there, and I'm in the middle of nowhere, and I'm thinking, he's not going to chase me, but he hasn't forgotten yet. Again, it's only been three minutes, so I just start walking home. But I take the scenic route, and I'm not stupid. I turn that three-quarter mile run into a 2.3 mile return walk. And again, if you're not walking fast, I mean, that's a solid two hours, right? Mile an hour, 2.3, yeah, two hours. That's how how the math works. And I step foot in the yard, y'all, and I watch my mom pull in the driveway. Safety. And I look at him, and he has rage in his eyes still. It's crazy. And I don't want to be in the room with him because he wants to resolve the issue. And I know what resolving the issue means to him, and there ain't no chance. My brother and I are really close now, um, and we've all had these hard moments with a sibling or a close friend. How many of you had a fight with your closest friend? All of you, raise your hands because it's happened. Thank you. Hopefully not very physical. But I wouldn't trade any of those hard moments. Hard moments galvanize the relationships, right? They make it, there's some sort of unity that comes when you fight and make up and fight and make up and fight and make up. It's like something that gets stronger every time it breaks and then mends and breaks and mends. And that's why it's so incredibly painful when you lose a real friend. Do you have any relationships that look unified? Or is unity a word you would even use to describe a friendship? Or do your relationships look more dramatic, maybe passive-aggressive, hateful, abusive, when they could look unified? Now, for me, when I was prepping for this, I'm thinking, unity is kind of a weird word to use to describe relationships or friendships to me I would never be like, oh yeah, me and Jackson, we're we're in unification. We're unified in our front. Sounds like a like a military plan or something, but I I think God cares about unity. And I think that's why we should care. So we're gonna look at First Corinthians 12, 25 through 27. And I have my paper Bible because I'm more spiritual than you. Nobody laughed. Megan laughed. She loves me. (laughs) So that there may be no division in the body, but that the members have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now you are Christ's body and individually members of it. God cares deeply about unity because when one of us suffers, we all suffer. As the body of Christ, it's not just about what's between me and the other person. It's about the entire community and how that affects it. And so I think, well, that's their problem. It's not my problem, they want to tell me how to live my life. But maybe they actually care about you and the other person, and they just want unity in their community. We're called to care for each other. A true community doesn't think individually, rather they think as a whole. So do you live with any kind of unity in mind? whether it's friends, family, emerge perhaps? No? I think too many times we get so caught up in our individualistic culture that we have an I can do it all by myself attitude or we can, eh, if they leave, I'll just find another friend, they'll be just as good, they're a dime a dozen. And we're too easily letting go of real friends when we could actually just forgive. The moment we let frustrations, pain, or hostility destroy the unity, it's the same moment we all suffer. But the bottom line is we can't have community without unity. So the next scripture is actually an entire chapter. You guys excited? I'm gonna read an entire chapter to you tonight, but it's only three verses. So we're gonna to turn to Psalms 133. Behold, how good and how pleasant it is for brothers to dwell together in unity. It is like the precious oil upon the head coming down upon the beard, even Aaron's beard. Coming down upon the edge of his robes, it is like the dew of Hermon coming down upon the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord commanded the blessing of life forever. So we're going to break down these verses just a little bit. Um, Pleasant is a pleasant thing. That word "pleasant" is a adjective that the Jewish people would use to describe dancing or singing or even a perfume. It was something that was sweet to the senses. Uh, good in that verse is the Hebrew word "tov." The first time we see that word is actually in Genesis chapter one, in creation, when God creates all life and all earth. He says His creation is good, and that's that same word. So. I tried to come up with a better way, a cool bullet point, you know, to to do this, but the psalmist said it best. Unity is good and pleasing. It just is. It's good and pleasing to us when we're around it. It's good and pleasing to God when he sees it. In verse 2, we see oil being applied, which is kind of a, a cool word picture that we don't really understand because we take showers. I mean, that's kind of the... I know that sounds weird, but... They used oil to mask the smell of not taking baths, essentially. And so when you went to someone's house, they would say, oh, you've traveled such a long way. They would douse you with oil to refresh you and to make you not smell bad. This was done to refresh you. The oil upon Aaron's head was good as an instrument to refresh you. But then because he was the high priest, it was also used to consecrate His priestly service. Now, that's really cool because that means there's an abundance of things that are going to happen after the anointing that are awesome things. But as we see, the blessing doesn't just stop at his hair. The oil keeps flowing to his beard and then to the collar And then a lot of versions say it goes all the way down to the tip of his robe, basically to the floor. The unity blessing is an abundant blessing, one that you will never be able to contain. Unity refreshes, but as it refreshes, it's the beginning of something even greater. Now next, we see David use a word picture to show how wonderful this unity is. So it's like the dew that covers Mount Hermon. So, this is a large mountain in the middle of a desert. And the only thing that refreshes this mountain, the only thing that allows life to grow on this mountain, is the morning dew. So, unity is the thing that hydrates and allows life and thriving and all these things to happen in the middle of a desert. That's what this metaphor is saying. Unity will allow you to thrive. In a dehydrated world. Now lastly it would be good enough for me. And it should be good enough for you. That God says I will bless unity. Because God can't lie. And so that would be true. But then he doesn't say even I promise blessing to you for unity. He commands it. He commands his blessing. With his authority over all things, heaven and earth, he says, if you will be unified, I will give you a blessing. And not just any run-of-the-mill blessing because God doesn't give those out, an eternal life blessing. All God is asking you to do is to put aside your differences and treat each other like human beings. Forgive. You don't have to forget. Unity carries real blessing. So then how do we apply this to our lives? I used a different version for this verse, so I don't get to use my paper Bible. But we're going to Colossians chapter 3. Verse 13, make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. I love the words make allowance in that verse. It means plan, prepare, predict that the person next to you is going to mess up because they're not perfect and neither are you. I never did this with my brother. 100% of the time I expected him to be perfect. And when he didn't live up to my standard, I got angry about it. We're so quick to judge other people by their actions when we judge ourselves by our intentions. Ultimately, we would forgive each other, even when it was difficult. But why? Why is forgiving someone so difficult? Psychologists say we have a motivation to avoid being exploited by others. The easiest way to prevent exploitation is to hit back. That's what I did with the chalkboard. I just hit him back. Screw it. It's going to happen. What's he going to do to me? Turns out he can do a lot of things. And they hurt, all of them. They all hurt. Or we simply distance ourselves from that person, hoping that we never get exploited again. The author, Marianne Williamson, I've heard a lot of variations of this quote, but she's the one that's given credit for this one. Unforgiveness is like drinking poison yourself and then waiting for the other person to die. They're not offended by you walking around with a bad attitude. They don't have to deal with you anymore because you're not talking to them anymore. And so you're walking around with this poisonous attitude, and you're only infecting other people who had nothing to do with it. So forgiveness is something you do for yourself, and if it can help you heal, why is it so hard? You want revenge, maybe. Maybe you enjoy feeling superior in some way. Maybe you just don't know how to resolve the situation. Maybe you're just addicted to the adrenaline anger provides. Maybe your self-identity is that of a victim, and you've never gotten out of that far enough to actually forgive somebody and not be a victim anymore. Maybe your relationships are so entangled with abuse and anger and hatred that you don't know how to forgive, that the only person that could even let you come close to forgiveness would be God. We feel slighted and justified, just wallowing in our unforgiveness. But we see scripture in chapter 3, verse 13, that we have to go against what's natural. That's a, a pretty good theme of Christianity. It says to go against everything your sin nature tells you to do and do something godly instead. Your nature says, I have every right. I am justified Hitting them with that chalkboard. But God says forgive them anyway. It's not my words. It's the words of God. They might be completely undeserving. Again, my brother did a lot of terrible, angry, violent things to me growing up. But I forgave him. And it's because he did it out of love, you know, the whole thing. Um, But forgiveness puts a final seal on what happened that hurt you. Like I said before, you don't have to forget what happened to you. But you're allowed to forgive and heal and let it go. Because if you don't let it go, it's only binding you. It's not binding anybody else. If we make allowance and plan for faults... It gives us the opportunity to extend grace and forgiveness to each other because we're all capable of making mistakes. And just as you would want forgiveness from somebody based on your intentions, you should give it to somebody else. One of the questions tonight in fam time was, who do you need to forgive? Maybe you aren't ready to forgive that person and that's what you need to pray about. Or maybe somebody instantly comes to mind, and you're ready and willing to forgive them, but you need the help of of Jesus through prayer, and, and that's what that looks like. Or maybe the person you need to make things right with is Jesus. Maybe tonight, the best friend that you could ever have, you've just stopped talking to him, and he's willing to forgive every wrong thing you've ever done every day. He's the best friend that you could ever have.